Take your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 41, please. Genesis chapter 41 is not an easy passage to write a sermon on. In this case, two sermons on because it's a rather lengthy chapter. But we are going to continue in the first few verses, I guess quite a few verses, between verse 1 and 32, to look at principles for believers today from the life of Joseph. Principles from the life of an Old Testament saint that apply to us today. And the the difficulty with finding principles for believers from the life of Joseph in this passage is that in the first 32 verses, very little is actually said about Joseph. Much more is said about Pharaoh, much more is said about dreams and the interpretation of them. We still are going to focus on those principles, three principles that I'd like to present to you this morning for the life of Joseph. A little bit of background on Joseph, if you remember. Joseph was the son who was favored by his father. He was the eldest son of Jacob and Rachel. He was a love child, born in Jacob's old age to the love of his life. If you remember, Joseph was given the coat of many colors, and it shows his authority, even over his brothers. It also shows that he would inherit, that he was chosen by his father, that he was special, that he was blessed. We see as well in the life of Joseph that he was favored by God, not just by his father, but by God. He was favored by God with dreams at a young age, dreams which indicated and which were a promise that he would rise to prominence, even among his brothers, among his siblings, and above his parents. He was favored by God. And yet, at the age of 17 years, he was betrayed by his brothers, sold into slavery, taken to Egypt. There in Egypt, he is bought by Potiphar, captain of the guard under Pharaoh. There, life improved a little bit, even though he's in slavery. He's trusted with everything in Potiphar's house, except for his wife. He's falsely accused of attempted rape by Potiphar's wife, and for that crime which he did not commit, he is thrown into prison. There in prison, he meets Pharaoh's butler, or the cupbearer, and the baker. And then he interprets their dreams by God's enabling, and he sees that interpretation fulfilled. This is in Genesis chapter 40. And as he's interpreting these dreams, he is seeing or beginning to see a little glimmer of hope for himself. We see that in Genesis chapter 40, a little glimmer of hope once again to this wrongly imprisoned young Hebrew man. In Genesis chapter 40, verse 14, he says to the butler, Remember me when it is well with you, and please show kindness to me. Make mention of me to Pharaoh, and get me out of this house, for indeed I was stolen away from the land of the Hebrews. And also I have done nothing here that they should put me into the dungeon little glimmer of hope, and then we see in verse 23 of Genesis chapter 40, yet the chief butler did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. That brings us to Genesis chapter 41. This is going to be a fairly extensive reading this morning. We're going to read from verse 1 to the end of verse 32. It's a little bit of an awkward breakdown there, but we are going to pause this morning at the end of verse 32. Genesis chapter 41. Then it came to pass at the end of two full years that Pharaoh had a dream, And behold, he stood by the river. Suddenly there came up out of the river seven cows, fine-looking and fat, and they fed in the meadow. And behold, seven other cows came up after them out of the river, ugly and gaunt, and stood by the other cows on the bank of the river. And the ugly and gaunt cows ate up the seven fine-looking and fat cows. So Pharaoh awoke. He slept and dreamed a second time, and suddenly seven heads of grain came up on one stalk, plump and good. Then behold... Seven thin heads, blighted by the east wind, sprang up after them. And the seven thin heads devoured the seven plump and full heads. So Pharaoh awoke, and indeed it was a dream. 
Now it came to pass in the morning that his spirit was troubled, and he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men, and Pharaoh told them his dreams. But there was no one who could interpret them for Pharaoh. Then the chief butler spoke to Pharaoh, saying, I remember my faults this day, when Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, both me and the chief baker. We each had a dream in one night, he and I. Each of us dreamed according to the interpretation of his own dream. Now there was a young Hebrew man with us there, a servant of the captain of the guard, and we told him, and he interpreted our dreams for us. To each man he interpreted according to his own dream. And it came to pass, just as he interpreted for us, so it happened. He restored me to my office, and he hanged him. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they brought him quickly out of the dungeon, and he shaved, changed his clothing, and came to Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I've had a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it, but I've heard it said of you that you can understand a dream to interpret it. So Joseph answered Pharaoh, saying, It is not in me. God will give Pharaoh an answer of peace. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Behold, in my dream I stood on the bank of a river. Suddenly seven cows came up out of the river, fine-looking and fat. And we're going to skip down a few verses because we've already read that dream. Then we go to verse 25. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, The dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good heads are seven years. The dreams are one. And the seven thin and ugly cows which came up after them are seven years. And the seven empty heads blighted by the east wind are seven years of famine. This is the thing which I have spoken to Pharaoh. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Indeed, seven years of great plenty will come throughout all the land of Egypt. But after them, seven years of famine will arise. And all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. And the famine will deplete the land. So the plenty will not be known in the land because of the famine following, for it will be very severe. And the dream was repeated to Pharaoh twice because the thing is established by God and God will shortly bring it to pass. May God bless to us the reading of his word this morning. I realize that is a bit of an awkward breakdown. I don't think that any of your Bibles have a nice section there where it divides between verse 32 and verse 33. Verse 33 begins the exciting part of the story, really. This, uh, although it's not completely, it's the greatest rags to riches story that was ever told. We see that beginning in verse 33. We'll look at that next week. What does this passage here, in spite of the fact that it's a long one and doesn't deal specifically with Joseph or exclusively with Joseph, what does it have to teach us from the life of Joseph? The main character in this passage is actually Pharaoh. And there are a couple life principles that we can learn from Pharaoh. I'm not going to focus on them, but I'll give you at least two principles from Pharaoh just as a side note. And they're good principles. Principle number one, God rules over kings and rulers regardless of how great they are or how pagan they may be. That's a good principle that we learn from Pharaoh here in Genesis chapter 41. The second one is that position, power, and prestige are hopeless to help in spiritual matters. There is ample evidence for that and ample evidence for those two principles here in this passage. And I encourage you to investigate principles from the life of Pharaoh. Verse 8 tells us that Pharaoh was troubled and no one could interpret the dreams for him. Most powerful man in the then-known world with access to the greatest brains of the day and it was absolutely completely useless. And when it says magicians here, please don't think someone pulling a rabbit out of a hat, okay? That's not what is intended. This is the astrologers, physicists, chemists, scientists, all of the great intellectuals of the day. And they were helpless in regards 
to spiritual matters. It takes a dependency upon God, a relationship with God, to be sensitive and to understand spiritual matters. This passage is about Pharaoh's dream here that we have in front of us and Joseph's God-given interpretation. Joseph is the only one in Egypt able to understand and interpret the king's dream. Joseph is the only one able to understand what God is saying. That's kind of where I want to focus this morning. Why Joseph? What was unique about Joseph? Even though there's not a lot said about it, what are some characteristics or attributes of Joseph that we see this morning that enabled him or equipped him to understand what God was saying? He provided understanding to the voice of God when no one else could. So I've titled this message, Three Keys. Three Keys to Understanding the Voice of God. Now please, this is not some mystical self-help guidance here that I'm giving, nor is it in any way a claim that if you do these three things, you will interpret dreams or visions or hear extra biblical utterances. It's not about that. It's nothing like that. This is simply three things that I see in Joseph, three possible prerequisites even, for being able to understand the revelation of God. And this can cover something as straightforward as being able to understand the written, inspired word of God, the Bible, to being able to understand when God speaks through your conscience or through creation and guiding and directing or even convicting. How do we understand that? This is three keys to understanding those. I think as you hear these three keys and as we work through them individually, you'll come to understand them. Three keys to understanding the voice of God. Patiently serve in times of silence. Key number one, promptly proclaim the Lord in every opportunity. Number two, and we will deal with these individually. And thirdly, promote God rather than self. We want to understand the revelation, the voice of God. Patiently serve when you don't hear it. Promptly proclaim the Lord in every opportunity and promote God rather than self. Joseph was uniquely called and he was uniquely equipped by God to understand and interpret the dream that Pharaoh had but it was not a building block or part of the equipping for Joseph to do that, the patient serving in times of silence. Patiently serve in times of silence. The very first verse of Genesis chapter 41 says, then it came to pass at the end of two full years. And I'm dividing that right in the middle of a sentence. I realize that. It came to pass at the end of two full years. That puts Joseph at 30 years of age. Between the age of 17 and 30, Joseph has been in slavery and in prison So that's 13 years of adversity, 13 years of struggles and pains and apparent defeat, 13 years of seemingly pointless, unjust, unfair, undeserved torment, 13 years of shame and ridicule and being despised, 13 years with no explanation and no justification for the situation that he is in. Now, we just read that he was sold into slavery, and then we just read a couple chapters later, or two chapters later, that he was thrown into prison. These events take place fairly shortly, it seems according to the Word of God anyways, as far as reading it. And we likely fail to realize the depth of this struggle. We face momentary difficulties, and we act like our life is coming to an end, or at least falling apart, at least I do. If we face difficulties for more than a few days or a couple weeks, we are prone to fall into abject despair. We honestly can't imagine 13 years, I can't imagine, 13 years of the horrors that Joseph faced. 13 years as a slave and in prison 
when he had done no wrong. In verse 14, it says that they brought him up out of the dungeon. The word literally means hole. They brought him up out of the hole. In verse 14, it also says that they shaved, or he shaved and changed his clothes. We understand that there's some cultural significance to this, but also recognize that it's likely in the four or five years at least that Joseph has been in prison. He has not bathed or shaved, not even trimmed his beard or his hair. He is likely filthy, lice-ridden, flea-bitten, and stinking. That's not the picture that we have of Joseph, is it? Maybe he wasn't. Maybe it was a prestigious prison. I mean, it was for the royal guard or for, the, for royalty. And yet there's reason why it says that when he was brought up quickly out of prison, he had to change his clothes and shave or trim his beard. It's a reason why it says that he was in a dungeon. It's a reason why he says in the chapter before, get me out of this house. Get me out of this place. Thirteen years. And only once in those 13 years, as far as we know, does he see anything of the miraculous or anything of specific divine intervention once in 13 years, as far as we know. And even when he does see that, his one experience of the divine, it would have been a crushing disappointment. In my mind, anyways, it would have been for me. 13 years I've been here in prison. Where is God? And then at year 11, God intervenes and there's a butler and a baker and they have a dream and God grants you the interpretation of the dream. And in three days, one of them's going to be killed and one of them's going to be raised back up. And so you say to the guy who's going to be raised back up after 11 years in prison and in slavery, when you're out, remember me to Pharaoh. First divine revelation that Joseph receives as far as we know in 11 years at this point And now there's opportunity. God has intervened. God is going to do something miraculous and the butler forgot. Now, maybe Joseph's dreams were crushed immediately. Most likely they were like ours. (laughs) Crushed gradually at times. So his dream is interpreted, or he interprets the dream for the butler. And three days later, it says that the butler was brought before the king and he kept his head. This is good. So Joseph's thinking, all right, that dream has come to pass. The interpretation has been fulfilled. Day three, Okay, three days in, that's not bad. I've already been here 11 years. Day four, he's going to have opportunity to speak to Pharaoh. <laughs> Nothing comes of it. Day five, well, maybe. Day six, well, it's government. It grinds slow, right? It takes his time. And day seven, a week. And then two weeks and three weeks and a month. And six months and nothing. Only once have you seen God intervene, as far as we know, in 11 years. And when it does happen, it adds to your misery rather than relieves you of it. Wasting away in prison, the days dragging painfully slow. Joseph, at the seeming height of his potential, he is young. Scripture tells us he is good-looking. He's obviously energetic, and he is wasting away in prison. Wasting away while God acts on the behalf of somebody else who doesn't know him and doesn't trust him. Wasting away in the face of unanswered prayer or denied prayer. This is where we find Joseph, wasting away. And what do we know of Joseph, of his attitude? In the 13 years of slavery and imprisonment, what do we know? Very little, actually. Except that he was mindful of God, continually, it seems. He appears content in the midst of unimaginable difficulties. Now, when he is called upon to serve the butler and baker in the name of God, 
he does so, and it seems as if he does so joyfully, 11 years. Now you're seeing God intervene in somebody else's life, and he has it in yours, and you do so, you serve them joyfully. What do we see when he's brought before Pharaoh? He exhibits no bitterness, no dejection, not even righteous indignation that he's here in prison when he shouldn't be. As far as we know, Joseph patiently served God. He served God. He persevered faithfully for God. Now, prayerfully, none of us will ever experience the kind of abuse that Joseph experienced. But we must acknowledge that we will all face trying days. We will face days of discouragement and disappointment. We will face loss. We will face pain. We will face suffering. We will face times where we cannot see or hear or feel God. And those struggles may be momentary in passing, or they may seem to tie to our very souls and take us down to the grave. I do not know. In that situation, in that struggle, whatever it is, how long it may last, in that prison of pain and maybe abandonment when God seems to have turned his face on you, can you trust him? Will you trust him? Will you serve him through the silence? The key to understanding the voice of God when it comes is to have served him faithfully in those times of silence. One of the keys, anyways, to understanding the voice of God is persevering. Patiently, faithfully, persistently serving God regardless of whether you see his hand or not. If you will faithfully serve him when you cannot see him or hear him or seem to, I believe that you will recognize his voice when he does speak. The second key to understanding the voice of God is promptly proclaiming or promptly proclaim the Lord in every opportunity. In this story, Pharaoh has a dream. No one can interpret it. But the butler remembers this young Hebrew man who had interpreted his dream and the baker's dream two years before in prison. And not only had he interpreted the dream, but they had come to pass precisely as they had been interpreted. So he tells Pharaoh about this. Pharaoh sends for Joseph, and he's brought out of the dungeon. Quickly, it says, he's given a thorough delousing, and he's brought to stand before Pharaoh. That takes us to verse 15. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I've had a dream. And there is no one who can interpret it. But I have heard it said of you that you can understand a dream to interpret it. I have heard it said of you. There's something about you. You can understand it. You can interpret it. What's Joseph's response? It is not in me. God will give Pharaoh an answer of peace. In other words, I don't have the answer, but God has the answer. God will provide. This has nothing to do with me, but everything to do with God. And he was prompt about that. Are we prompt to point to God? Are we as prompt to point to God as Joseph was? In the scenarios we come across, in the dilemmas that are presented to us, in our own life or in dilemmas that somebody else has presented to us, do we turn to God? And do we speak of God? Do you realize that God has a perfect perspective on everything that you face? And that the majority of that perspective can actually be seen from the word of God? Do you realize that God has an opinion on everything? And that most of that opinion can be known in the word of God? So when someone comes to you with a question or seeking advice, where do you go? Well, I think. Well, what does it matter what you think? Doesn't it matter what God thinks? 
I'm not saying that every time anyone ever comes to you, you're automatically going to know the answer. Well, God, this is what God says, or this is what God thinks. But shouldn't it be the vast majority of the times rather than this is my opinion? I hold myself in such high esteem that I will give you my opinion and I will slight God's opinion. It's too often the way it, we would never say we actually do that, but don't we? Don't I? Look at Joseph. Verse 16, Joseph says, It is not of me, but of God. Verse 25, God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Verse 28, God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. In verse 32, the thing is established by God, and God will shortly bring it to pass. Do you see how quick and how persistent Joseph is to point to God? We saw that with the dreams of the butler and the baker as well. They have a dream, they tell him the dream, and he says, or actually even before they tell him the dream, he says, do not interpretations belong to God? In each scenario, each situation, the first thing out of Joseph's mouth seems to say, it's it's not about me, it's about God. We need to exemplify that. Be quick. Be quick to speak of God. May we be people whose eyes are so fixed on God that we are quick to speak of him and about him. It wouldn't be a bad thing if we developed this habit to the extreme, to the point where maybe it's annoying to other people. Always thinking about and talking about what God thinks, what God has said, and what God will do, rather than about ourselves. Do you want to understand the voice of God? Do you want to be well-equipped to understand his divine revelation? Then be people who quickly ascribe to God what should be ascribed to him. People who are more concerned with speaking what God has already revealed than speaking our own perspective or preference. Be prompt to proclaim the Lord in every opportunity. The third key to understanding the voice of God is promote God rather than yourself. And this is a hard one for us, a hard one for me anyways. We get this from more what is not said than what is said in this passage. Remember, though, for a moment, Joseph's situation. He's been in slavery and he's been in prison. Combined those two things for 13 years. He's been betrayed. He's been stolen from his homeland. He even says that. He's been sold as a slave. He's been falsely accused of attempted rape. He's been unjustly condemned. He's been unjustly thrown into a prison and he has languished there. He's wasted away there for a few years anyways, five or six. In all this, he has done no wrong. He has suffered grievously, though he has done everything, as far as we know, right. He is a victim of many terrible injustices. And suddenly, he is thrust before Pharaoh and asked to interpret a dream, something no one else can do. What would your response have been in that situation? You have something that nobody else has that the king of the, the, basically the superpower of the world needs. I know what I'd be doing. I'd start bargaining. (laughs) I've been in prison. I've been a slave. Let me, Pharaoh, I have been in one of your prisons for the last five years unjustly. This is something you have control over. Pharaoh, I can do this, but here's my list of conditions. Here's my stipulations. Now, maybe you wouldn't do that because it's Pharaoh to take your head off, but I'm sure that would run through our head, right? You have something that nobody else has. You have a bargaining chip. You have, you have a corner on this. And does he promote himself? No. He automatically promotes God. It seems that Joseph seeks no consideration for himself. He doesn't even mention himself but he takes all the tension off himself and places it on the Lord. It's not about Joseph, even in his own mind. That's quite miraculous. It's a reproof to me 
Because there are a few scenarios that I'm not prone to think it's all about me. Maybe that's just me. You don't think that, right? We all have that thought in the back of our mind that the world truly does revolve around us. The sun rises and falls for us. We are most important, at least in our own little bubble. We don't see that with Joseph. We'd never actually say all those things, but doesn't so often that ring as true? We tend to be self-centered. And when we're in a situation that we can work to our advantage, we're prone to work it to our advantage. Prone to that. Joseph in a situation where he has every right to seek his own ends, to promote himself, he points consistently to God and not to himself. And in this situation, it would have been easy to take credit. No one else can interpret the dream. Pharaoh is troubled by it. You have the key to your future success right here. Pharaoh even tells Joseph, actually, in a little bit here, and this is after he ascribes it to the Lord, absolutely. But he says, he says, Pharaoh saying to Joseph, there is no one as discerning and wise as you. <laughs> Good job. There's nobody as discerning and wise as you. Thirteen years. Took me to get that out of Pharaoh. <laughs> we don't know what the scenario was, but we would have been tempted. I would have been tempted to be promoting myself, to be saying it's about time, to say, look what I have done. Look at who I am. The temptation comes often to us, doesn't it? And maybe we do well in the world. We succeed because we follow the admonitions of God, so we're blessed. And in those times, we tend to forget God in our blessing, and we think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. Be like Joseph. Seeking God's glory rather than our own. Promoting the name of the Lord above our own. One of the keys to understanding the voice of God is to keep our focus right. Make much of God. I believe that God seldom reveals more of himself while we are caught up admiring ourselves in the mirror. God's not in the business of revealing more about himself when we're infatuated with ourselves. So three keys to understanding the voice of God. Patiently serve him in times of silence. Promptly proclaim the Lord and every opportunity. And thirdly, promote God rather than self. Remember, these are just principles. Principles from the life of Joseph. This is not a guaranteed input-output scenario. Nor does this limit God by saying that he will only give understanding when we have all our ducks in a row. It doesn't work that way. These are just good and wise principles. God has spoken. God has spoken in his word. God has spoken in creation. God has spoken in our conscience and continues to. Praise God for that. The revelation has been declared. Here, the revelation comes to Pharaoh and to his wise men, but they cannot understand it. That is the difference between revelation and illumination. Understanding is illumination. The light's going on in regards to the revelation of God. Now, the question is often asked today, does God still speak? And the answer to that is yes. Not as divine authoritative revelation. That's the word of God. That is complete. But does he not speak to us by his spirit, through his word, through creation, or through our conscience, convicting and rebuking and directing and all of these areas he speaks? Yes, he does. Are we perceptive to his voice? Do we hear it? And when we hear it, do we understand it? These keys apply to us today as well as they did to Joseph then. We would desire to understand the revelation of God. Now, unique to us, and I'll say this quite quickly. I would encourage you to look into it a little bit, though. Unique to us 
on this side of the cross is the abiding work of the Holy Spirit within the child of God by grace through faith. If you have trusted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you are more able to understand the revelation of God than even Joseph was because you have the abiding presence of the Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9 to 16. Take a moment and read that this afternoon. But in verse 12, speaking of by the Spirit which we've been given, it says that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things are spiritually discerned. It also says that we have within us the mind of Christ. It says, who can know the mind of God? The very last verse there. But it says, but we have the mind of Christ. We have the disposition, the desires, and the, the motives of Christ. We live and act with the heart and mind of Jesus Christ by his Spirit who abides within us. If you have trusted him as Lord and Savior, you have the mind of Christ. That does not remove the necessity for these three keys to understanding the voice of God, but reaffirms them. It reaffirms them. If we have the mind of Christ, and every child of God by grace through faith has the mind of Christ, then we will patiently serve in times of silence. We will promptly proclaim the Lord in every opportunity, and we will promote God rather than ourselves. The reality is that the world does not need more revelation. They have all that they need. They need us, illumined by the Spirit, to help them understand the revelation of God. They need a Joseph, someone to bring understanding to what God has said. The church, I would even go so far as to say, does not need new or more revelation. We need to apply ourselves to the revelation that has been given and understanding it and living it out and living according to it. The church itself needs us illumined by the Holy Spirit to bring accurate understanding of what God has revealed by the Holy Spirit and to do so not for our own good, not for our own glory, but for the glory due unto him alone, for his honor and glory, and ultimately and eternally for our good. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you have given us your word. We thank you that we understand that you do not, you are not continuing to provide authoritative revelation as in your word, that it is complete, but that your Holy Spirit guides us into the truth of your word. It guides us even into what you have revealed in creation and what you are revealing in our conscience, that when you convict us, we are sensitive to that, and I pray that we would be. We would know that it is your convicting. And when you pour out grace and mercy as you so continue to do, that we would understand that because we are in Jesus Christ, because we have the mind of Christ. Grant us understanding. Grant us as well, I pray, an attitude of Jesus Christ that not only can we say we have understanding, we are being guided into truth because we have the mind of Christ, but that we would have the attitude of Christ. We would serve you faithfully. We would speak of you promptly. We would promote you above ourselves. We would lift up and exalt and proclaim the name of Jesus Christ. For you alone are worthy. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.